0: It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast.
1: We were discouraged with all the negativity in the world and decided to focus on finding some good out there. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast with me, Teresa. And me, Amy, we're two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can
0: find it. Lucy and I have been checking out universities. We did Oregon State and U of O. You so know my vote. I know.
1: <laughs> well, we kinda <laughs> with our dog, I being, know <laughs> Um Austin and our gaping Hayward.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it was it was really, really fun. But yeah, I can see the U of O is very magical. Yeah. yeah. I'm but, hoping
1: that's where she hits, but Yeah, so that was really fun. fun. Fun memories yeah. for you guys. My highlight last week, I think, was um, our happy hour where my mom came. Oh, she's so darling. Yes, yeah, it just was so, like, all the laughing. It, it just was so, was so nice to be... Giggly. Just, yeah, belly laughing. So, good week last week.
0: The homeless crisis is a complex situation and often a charged topic.
1: Well, and you said that you didn't see any um, homeless... I know your trip. I, we didn't
0: yeah. I was mean, just kind of interesting well, we definitely have a
1: problem here in this here States. in the U.S.
0: yeah you know back in episode 14 we talked about a nonprofit creating a solution turtle dove shelters in McMinnville mm-hmm. Oregon they provide shelters for homeless people through constructing portable shelters which is total game changer
1: they, and offered they are just regular you know everyday people, people. like you or me that's yeah. just a little extra that they're doing, doing for on the people side. Out there.
0: yeah that's so awesome and I just heard about another organization also in the Pacific Northwest building temporary shelters for the homeless, Pallet, up in Everett, Washington. I love that they are a social purpose company, their goals to make the world a better place. Amy King is is the CEO and founder of Pallet, which began in 2016. Uh, Amy and her husband own another construction business, Square Peg Construction, and that is where they learned about the need. From their employees, they employ people exiting the criminal justice system, and people from addiction and recovery, and homeless. And I love that they initially thought, "How can they problem solve and give dignity, a personal space for these people in transition?"
1: I love that because they get out of prison, you know, and yeah. it's hard for them to not fall back into the same right. routine because right. the same people cycle. don't give them. Yep, yeah, people don't cut him a break and I do have one friend in construction that he also tries to you know help when he can but right it isn't always something they can do so I love to hear that other companies yeah
0: I just thought this was really 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 cool and different Mm -hmm. their shelter provides the homeless a good night's sleep and provides some stability they're setting up shelters all across the country. Um, they look like tiny homes. They're they're meant to be temporary, a stepping stone for people in transition. Pallet uses fiberglass reinforced with plastic, um, reinforced plastic with a foam insulating core for panels and shelves that's mold and mildew mm-hmm. and, so, and rot resistant. They also use a, an aluminum framing. It's amazing they can go together as quickly as 20 minutes with mm-hmm. no tools, mm-hmm. um, and they can last up to 10 years. They go so quickly together, they can put together a 60-unit site in just like 10 days. These units are intended to set up in a community. There's an example just right in our neck of the woods, a community of these homes on the east side near OMSI. You can see them from the
1: freeway. Which are much nicer. It's just cleaner and neater and... Right. Plus warmer. Well, they they have electricity and heat, air conditioning, and
0: a plug for cell phones, and the village, they ha- they also do a shared kitchen, they really, mm-hmm. and a shared bathroom to create community. Mm-hmm. The intention is not for people just to isolate themselves in their homes. And most people stay about three to six months, and then they move on to more permanent situation. Mm-hmm. They're easy to clean, so for the next resident, I just love it. Sustainability—you mm-hmm. can just like clean these off and you know pass them forward. More garbage. It's not more garbage exactly. Yeah. Uh, Pallet provides the shelter, and usually the city. Or service provider selects residents based on the needs of the community, mm-hmm. so they're just providing mm-hmm. providing the shelter. But lastly, this husband and wife team also have a run a nonprofit that houses people across Seattle in vacant developer properties, you mm-hmm. know, that haven't mm-hmm. been used. And I just love that they listen to the needs of their employees, and they're inspired to help with creating homes that provide dignity for people in tr- transition, and and are
1: more often overlooked. Yeah, I thought that was really, I was really. That is really. makes you really want to use them. Yeah, like if you have any construction needs. And right. Whatever. Exactly. For sure. Very cool. I've admired Audrey Hepburn for a long time, in part because of her poise, classic style, her beauty, a little bit because I enjoyed her Breakfast at Tiffany's.
0: Yeah, that's Sabrina, a good one.
1: Yeah. And Wait Until Dark. Anyone who loves a suspense movie should watch that 1967 that classic. Is oh my good. gosh. Yeah. My kind of scary movie. It's a good thriller. You have to, I mean. And plus she's blind
0: in it. So yes. there's just that added. Yes.
1: There's that sphere. added. Fear. Yeah. Fear yeah. to it. More so than her Hollywood life though. I admire this woman for her UNICEF legacy. I finally got through the Dutch girl book that Amy gave me for Christmas. Hey. It's really, really good. Talking about the not-so-glamorous childhood of, you know, basically our Hollywood royalty. This book by Robert Manson covers Audrey Hepburn during World War II, which I didn't know anything about. uh, Yeah, But uh, this book by Robert Manson, as I said, covers Audrey Hepburn during World War II. I'm planning to read his next book on Audrey Hepburn that came out last year called Warrior, about her time spent with UNICEF. Until then, I'm going to just rely on Dutch Girl and a book her son wrote called Audrey Hepburn, An Elegant Spirit. Oh, I
0: love that. Her son,
1: Sean Hepburn-Farrer, wrote it, and he donated his book advance to the Audrey Hepburn Children's Fund and said the book wouldn't interest those addicted to the tabloids because Audrey chose a happy, simple life. Yeah. Which is probably why I love her. Um, She never wrote a memoir because she thought it would just be too boring. Oh, I was curious about this woman for a number of reasons most of which I think stemmed from her shyness it just kind of she was she was intriguing yeah There was always a mysteriousness to Audrey Hepburn. When I told one of my boys that I was researching Audrey Hepburn for the podcast, he asked me if it was the lady with the weirdly low voice. Obviously, he was referring to Catherine Hepburn. And I think a lot of people think the two women are related. Right, yeah. Which isn't the case. No. I don't know about Catherine Hepburn's family heritage, but Audrey actually was born into a Dutch aristocrat family. I didn't know that. Um, Not nearly as posh as it sounds, particularly when your country's been taken over by the Third Reich, which she yeah. experienced. In fact, I think that part of her heart for children around the world was because of her sad childhood.
0: Aww.
1: Her parents were vocal fascists and her mother, Ella von Heemstra, even wrote articles about how much Adolf Hitler had improved Germany and wow. you know yeah. and the world. Yeah. There were dinners and events with members of the SS before her mother opened her eyes to the truth. Her mom, Ella, saw one high-ranking member of the SS enough that some wondered if they were a thing oh, were possibly yeah. dating. Right. Um, and eventually her mom, you know, realized that they were not good people, but the horror they would cause, her ties were strong enough that she was denied entry into the United States shortly after the war because oh. of her possible affiliation That's with the, interesting. Yeah. the Third Reich. Yeah. Her mother was a practicing Christian scientist, and when Audrey caught whooping cough when she was just six weeks old, Ella prayed for her instead of seeking medical advice. Once Audrey stopped breathing and she turned blue, Ella (gasps) kept spanking her until she started breathing again. Audrey would question if this experience might trigger her asthma later in life. Her mother was a goal setter for sure and definitely not an emotional sort. I kind of think she was like a dance mom before a dance (laughs) mom was a thing but Audrey's father left them when she was just six she would later say that it was the most tragic experience she said her mother was crying all the time and that her mom's hair turned gray overnight which I'm sure did not happen but but as a child that's what what their impression yeah yeah. she said that her dad spoke 13 languages they never had a relationship he would move to Ireland and that was that yet Despite his deserting young Audrey, she would financially care for him later in life until his death. So that says something to Audrey Hepburn as well. Yeah, for sure. Audrey enjoyed the brownies starting in 1937 when she was just eight. She also, like I said, loved to dance. Her mother was quite the dance mom before it was even an actual thing. She made sure Audrey got the lessons she needed to truly excel and orchestrated some performances for members of the German army. Wow. According to the book, the Netherlands fell to Germany in five days. So they had German presence very early into the conflict. Even with their occupation, Ella said that Hitler was a gentleman and would never truly take over Holland. We know that obviously her mom was sorely mistaken. The Netherlands were not only taken over, but the German military confiscated the majority of their food. Their currency had to change because, you know, they used the coins for military stuff. Right. And all of their natural resources were turned over to the mother country. Mm. So, for a while, it wasn't horrible for Audrey, although she saw people being taken away on trains and cattle cars. Jews of all ages. She remembers one little girl in a red coat, in particular. I mean, obviously, that was she... Vivid. Yes. The remainder of life, she just couldn't get those images out of her head. Not only did they often have to hide underground from bombs overhead... But the longer the war carried on, the worse the conditions got for the Dutch citizens. She recalled her brothers eating dog biscuits. <sighs> they were that desperate. So bad, it was known as the Dutch Hunger Famine Winter in 1944 to 1945. A long time ago, I read that young Audrey and people in her country resorted to eating tulip bulbs, which this book oh. verified. Yeah, I had pictured them like slicing it up like a potato or right. a turnip or a or something, but they'd actually grind it up into powder for, like, a flour-type substance. Hmm. There was the issue of no butter or sugar or other rations to make anything actually, you know, edible, though. Yeah, I'm sure it was bitter. Oh, I'm sure it was awful. Yeah. I talked to a man at work who lived through this. And um, he mentioned them talking about, you know, I talked, they talked about beets. And he said they did the same thing with beets, making flour out of them. Audrey would talk about eating green bread at times because they used pea flour oh, okay. to make the bread. Wow. So they just were very resourceful with what they had. Right. And hungry. Yeah. Many days Audrey would just choose to stay in bed because she wanted to limit her movement. The more she moved, the more energy she used. And it would just make the hunger pains worse. This is a young girl, you know, these children. It's just heartbreaking. Audrey's family wasn't Jewish, but she that didn't mean she was immune to the war crimes taking place. Her uncle Otto, which showed a couple pictures in there of Autumn, he was held hostage to set an example. Since her uncle was a judge, he was rounded up and held hostage. Sabotage was one way the Dutch could fight back. So it was common for the SS to post signs stating that a certain number of hostages would be shot if the guilty party or parties didn't confess. People said that they could hear screaming when they walked past Aww. the, you know, the institute where the hostages were housed. They most likely were being tortured for information. Uncle Otto was taken away, forced to dig his own grave and then shot with a group of innocent men. The only thing he was guilty of was being an upstanding citizen, a loving husband and a devoted father. Aww. It was apparent the war stayed with Audrey. Even though her mother wasn't trusted among the resistance, they took a chance on using Audrey and their gamble paid off. A resistance doctor would have her take messages in her oh. shoe. And while she was too Ooh, humble I didn't know that, I yeah. didn't know that either until very this cool. book um she was too humble to call herself a hero, but she definitely was extremely heroic to do that. Yeah. You know, it was oh a my gosh. very heroic thing to do at the time. You have to remember people were shot on the spot if they were even can, if they thought they were doing this. So it was quite dangerous. The bravery of these people gives me hope. Oh, yeah. Churches willing to do the right thing, even if people were with a different religion. Underground organizations trying to help as much as they could. Audrey knew of Anne Frank, another Dutch girl, having a very different experience with the German occupation of Holland. Audrey would later decline to play young Anne Frank. She was offered the role after being nominated by oh. Anne Frank's father, Otto Frank. She had accepted another role in 1959 called Green Mansions which I haven't seen Um, and after witnessing street executions and Jews herded away to concentration camps and boxcars she felt the role would be too painful to relive so she declined and she also said she was 30 years old she didn't think she could convince moviegoers right you know that she was a teenager. teenager yeah so When Holland was finally liberated, a group came in with food for the emaciated country. The organization would later become UNICEF. She knew all too well from her personal experience that we can't heal our world without caring for our children, without giving them a starting chance. Her choices throughout the rest of her life would heal the sadness of the little girl, the sadness of not knowing her father, of a very demanding mother, failed marriages, and numerous miscarriages. I mean, she had a lot of sadness in her 64 years. She didn't have an easy life, yet she shined so brightly. And I almost think she shined because she was naturally born kind and compassionate. But also, I can't help but think that maybe the horrors she witnessed as an impressionable child didn't have something to do with her passion and drive to work with UNICEF. Yeah. Her son pointed out that her success was due to her good choices with her career, with her family, and with her when her boys were grown with less fortunate children. He also noted that he suspected that UNICEF expected Audrey to be like a face for them, you know, oh, a pretty yeah. princess, like a mouthpiece instead she became the name of, as I said, Robert Madsen's book, A Warrior.
0: Wow. I just
1: love the picture he painted of her having a steel hand in a velvet glove. Oh. She would say, love is action. It isn't just talk, and it never was. We're all born with the ability to love. She continued to remind people to keep at it and never be satisfied. Never rest until history is changed. Audrey would say, parents are not enough, teachers are not enough, doctors are not enough, friends are not enough, but all of us together have a chance. Wow, I love that. I do too. She most definitely was more than a pretty face with talking points for UNICEF. People loved her, but she wanted to be a mom. So she took a step back from working to raise her boys. She lived a simple life, quiet in Switzerland. So simple that her son said she slept in the same bed her entire life the entire time she lived there. Oh, wow. Definitely not a prima donna. While she tried to stay out of the limelight and focus on her flowers and her garden and um, lead a more serene life, the paparazzi still loved the funny face star. My favorite paparazzi story in the book that her son wrote, um, Audrey was taking her son to Spoleto Festival, which is a classical ballet and theater festival on the border of Tuscany. The they snapped a photo of her and her son, who he had recently grown a beard, so that he could look more mature oh, for his job. Yeah. The headline in the paper read, "Audrey with the new love of her life." They totally Aww. got a laugh at it. Out of it, she agreed that they finally got something right, minus the new part. Right? She right. loved it so much that she cut it out and framed it. Oh, so I just thought that was cute, adorable. She taught her boys um, to read a lot. That less is more. Audrey Hepburn was a minimalist before it was even a thing. Wow. She encouraged her kids, her boys, to buy the best quality possible so things would last. I guess she had a real thing for shoes. She would tell them to find a look that works and make seasonal changes with accessories rather than be a slave to fashion. Wow, she didn't succumb to fads and steered clear of trends because she didn't want the hassle of having to recreate herself. Right. Each she was season. just a classic. She was, like, yeah. And, like, she didn't have to try. Right. Audrey reminded her voice that your clothes are your first impression. Oh. Her classic simplicity wasn't a look at me right. statement. But instead, look, I'm no better than you statement. She didn't try to get attention and just focused on being Audrey. Wow. Yeah. How she carried herself with such grace and beauty it just was natural for her. There's no question that Audrey Hepburn was a gifted dancer. Her mother had her in ballet even during the war wow. with renowned and respected instructors. She was talented and she loved it. It was one way she could, you know, escape the reality. Yeah. And she actually enjoyed practicing. Yeah. That's still, awesome. she always felt out of place. She didn't like her teeth. She was Aww. much taller than the other girls, and she had feet to match. At school, she was quiet and often staring out the window. From her perspective, it sounds like Audrey was a bit of an ugly duckling. I think of all those insecurities actually working in her favor, though. She remained humble and compassionate regardless of how famous she became. It's almost as if those insecurities made us adore her more because she was relatable. I admire that she never let her lack of confidence hold her back. While her mother had been a Christian scientist, Audrey didn't have a formal religion. According to her son, her faith was in love the Aww. miracle of nature, and her faith in the goodness of life. She said, boil it all down to what counts the most. What is the essence of what you're trying to do? What is the most important thing? Things only get complicated when you're trying to address too many issues. I just, I love the that simplicity. Simplicity. Yeah, oh
0: my god. It reminds
1: me a lot of Mother Teresa, you know, keeping love simple. And I'm paraphrasing, but once uh, Mother Teresa said something about, you know, that, If you can't help everyone, start with just one person. Just love on that one person. We can all do that. In 1987, Audrey attended a concert in Macau where she delivered a passionate speech. James Grant, who was the executive director of UNICEF at the time, approached her. By April of 1988, she was making her first trip on behalf of UNICEF. At the time, UNICEF had put children first in over 170 countries and saved more children's lives more of them than any other humanitarian organization. Audrey remained a goodwill ambassador from 1988 until her death in 1992. She definitely found her purpose in the organization and worked tirelessly for the children. Her son told a story of Audrey visiting Somalia, and there was a young girl in line to get food. These kids were malnourished and in desperate need of nutrition. I mean, it shows pictures of these kids, and it's just heart-wrenching. The little girl kept looking at the food. She was oh. in line at first. She was looking at the food, and then she looked at Audrey. She so wanted adult interaction that she chose to get out of line, walk over to Audrey. Oh. This little girl picked human touch and attention wow. over getting food. Oh. That's how desperate she was for human attention. I'm sure they made sure she was fed, but the experience was definitely memorable for Audrey, knowing that the sacrifice this little one made just to get some hugs and attention... Sadness wasn't the only emotion Audrey felt on her UNICEF tours. Her son wrote of complete rage, she felt, when she saw the devastation in Somalia. She was disgusted that the world had proclaimed horrific war crimes would never happen again after World War II, and yet here it was happening again, with children ultimately paying the price. I just so admire that this woman was not only touching lives by raising money for UNICEF and being, you know, their spokesperson. Right. But she was also on the ground with these kids, making a difference yeah. in their lives. The sights she saw, children all over dying, she didn't shy away from it. Instead, she faced the sights over and over again. She gave so many speeches trying to convince people to do more. So many people were unaware of the atrocities taking place in these countries. After all, they felt like they were, you know, another world away. Audrey brought attention to the needs of the children in these countries. She preached peace and had earned her position to do so after what she had endured in her formative years. She spoke of peace being something we should study. We have ways to study war. We even teach it at universities. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a place where we could learn how to create and preserve peace, a university of peace? Wow. Just such a kind spirit. Yeah. It amazes me that her teachers remembered her as a a reticent, a reserved student. Little did they know that she'd bloom into this plucky ambassador for children. She worked tirelessly, raising money, visiting children. That became her job after her boys were grown. Her fifth year at UNICEF, she had a grueling schedule. And while she wasn't a complainer, she was having, you know, abdominal pain and it was getting increasingly worse. She came back to the States for testing and was trying to figure out what was causing the pain. She had previously had scans that, you know, turned up nothing. When she returned from Somalia, it was discovered that she had stomach cancer. I read in the epilogue in the Dutch Girl book that many of the Holocaust survivors had increased cancer rates. And one can't help but wonder if there's a correlation yeah. you know, between the two. And while Audrey Hepburn wasn't a Holocaust survivor, per se, she still was starving and going you know, without food, very malnourished, like many of the prisoners in concentration camps. Right. The limited, I don't know. But for Audrey, the cancer had gone undetected in her appendix and had spread to her stomach. She returned home to Switzerland for her last couple of months. Before she left California, I read that Jimmy Stewart Aww. rushed to say goodbye before she left. Aww. And i just love to know that they were close enough that he would hustle over there yeah. and do that. I, I just think the world of both of them. Minus the paparazzi trying to get photos of her. She could just relax and soak in as much time as she could with Aww. her sons. She would say that it was her best Christmas. She couldn't go shopping because she was too ill at that point. She also would say that she did regret that she didn't take time to meet the Dalai Lama Aww. in her life. I guess she lived her whole life thinking that Marlon Brando had snubbed her while they were at the same table for some award luncheon thing. Yeah. Come to find out he was equally nervous. Aww. Meeting the great Audrey Isn't Hepburn. It's interesting how I know. people don't, they make it something up yeah. in their mind. About some, Yeah. So that'll stick with me, because how many times do we shy away from things or right. people because we're scared? Right. Doctors, helpers, and family helped keep um, Audrey comfortable until the end. After Audrey passed, they created an Audrey Hepburn Memorial Fund for UNICEF to implement educational programs in the four countries she felt were most badly in need of infrastructure. Somalia, Sudan, Ethiopia, and Eritrea. So her legacy lives on. I've always loved Grace Kelly and Audrey Hepburn. Didn't every kid in the 80s? Totally. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Every normal kid. Grace Kelly had such elegance and beauty. I feel like Audrey Hepburn had that and so much more. She was talented for sure, but there are a lot of talented people out there. I admire Audrey Hepburn because she didn't let her sad childhood hold her back. Instead, it's almost like she used it to her advantage. She loved her boys unconditionally, a love she hadn't experienced as a child Her humble heart impresses me. Her favorite picture is a famous one with a little boy from Ethiopia on her back. They're both beaming as she gives the little boy a piggyback ride. When she saw that the wrinkles had been smoothed out on a photo, she issued a complaint. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I know. (laughs) She didn't want photographers to remove her wrinkles because she had earned them. Every single one of them, she said. Talk about girl power. I love that. That is a boss move right there. Her heart And compassion inspire me. But I also love her wisdom when dealing with politics. This woman was ahead of her time with that, too. When asked about emerging political governments, rebel factions, she responded with, It's as if you're sitting in your living room and you hear that terrible sound of screeching tires followed by a thump. Your heart is pounding as you run out into the street and you find that a child has been hit by a car. At that moment, you don't stop and wonder whose fault it is. Was the driver going too fast or did the child run after a ball? You just pick him up and run all the way to the hospital. I mean, how yeah, true is that? Totally. I'm going to work on thinking that way, worrying less about whose fault it is and pointing the finger. Just take and just, care of it. Yeah, exactly. Just seek the solution. Her legacy is definitely alive today. It's sad she died so young. She was only 64. That is super, yeah. That's Her nice. granddaughter Emma Kathleen Hepburn Fairer, is a spokesperson for UNICEF. Oh, she awesome. was a keynote speaker. So I know, I love that it's carrying on in that right. respect too. She was a keynote speaker in 2018 at a UNICEF ball honoring her grandmother's work. I love that her humanitarian efforts have been passed on to a younger generation, not only in her family, but you know, pink being right working for UNICEF. We need more Audreys in this world, helping those in need, tirelessly working with a humble and content heart, just like she did. To think that she thought her life would be too boring for a book. Oh, I mean, I'm so, seriously. Yeah, no kidding. I, I just love her simplicity, her words of peace. It gives me hope. Yeah. For beautiful eyes, look for the good in others. For beautiful lips, speak only words of kindness. And for poise, walk with the knowledge that you are never alone. Audrey Hepburn Hearing about all the tragedy going on in Ukraine is absolutely heart-wrenching. The attacks on residential areas and stories of men, women, and children being murdered in the streets by Russian forces just sickens me. My heart goes out to all the people of Ukraine. In episode 71, we talked about Volodymyr Zelensky and the brave people of Ukraine that are fighting to hold on to their country and their families, still constantly inspired by the heart of these people. And I want to share some stories about people who are making a difference for the Ukrainian people. I still get up every day, and the first thing I check is to make sure that he's still alive. (laughs) I just, I I, Yeah. In episode five, Amy talked about Marcus Samuelson, a chef that was making, he's making a difference here in America, helping feed the needy. In that episode, we talked about Marcus Samuelson's affiliation with World Central Kitchen, a group of food professionals who help out in emergencies like hurricanes and other natural disasters, providing food to the people impacted by emergencies. World Central Kitchen has responded in Ukraine as well. Jose Andres has set up an emergency kitchen in Peremyshmil, Poland, right across the border from Ukraine. From there, he's helping to feed tens of thousands of Ukrainian refugees each day, and he's making food to be shipped into cities from in Ukraine to help feed people still trapped there. Since the invasion started, Chef Jose and the World Central Kitchen has have served over one million meals. And I know That's we've awesome. chatted about this. Yeah. They're still doing more. He has 12 massive paella pans and 12 wow. large ovens going constantly to produce as many meals as he can get out in a day. In case you haven't seen one, when I say paella pan, which I'm not a big fan of that, but if you're right. hungry, I guess you're eating it. Those are several feet across, and each pan holds between 40 to 60 servings. Holy moly, that's a lot of food. They've even passed out hot chocolate at night, where temperatures can dip into negative temperatures. So all of this is done for free. Oh. Chef Jose believes that food, as you know, is a right. universal right and his World Central Kitchen team is right there supporting Ukraine. National Geographic is doing a documentary on this it will be oh, out May 27th cool. on yeah. Disney Plus. So oh, I know what I'll we'll be doing. That. Exactly. That. I know what we'll be doing on May 27th. Um, check out their website wck.org for information on how you can help support this vital mission. A Polish veterinarian, I should have brought a picture for you to look Aww. at, and he is doing his part to help save another Ukrainian population affected by the war in Ukraine, pets. Oh. While some refugees can't take their pets with them due to the shelling and destruction, pets have gotten loose or lost all over Ukraine. 32-year-old Jacob Kotowicz runs a no-kill shelter in the Peremish Mill in Poland. He and several volunteers have crossed the border into Ukraine to Lviv, Ukraine, which he recently has recently been under heavy missile fire. They've made three trips. They've rescued 200 cats and 60 oh. dogs. He rescued this like little pygmy goat that had broken legs. He's oh. going to adopt the little... It's just adorable but all, all heart-wrenching all at the same time. Some of the animals obviously were injured and they're now receiving care at Jacob's veterinary clinic. Jacob hopes to re- reunite some of the animals when their owners when it's possible to identify them and he'll adopt out the rest so good guy good guy there i mean he started as a teenager with this no-kill shelter so already he was just an amazing guy and then he's doing even more risking his life going into these war zones in poland where thousands of ukrainians are fleeing to as refugees polish mothers have left you've probably seen pictures of this strollers at train stations and refugee camps to help ukrainian mothers who've had to flee with just the clothes on their back. An informal network has formed to collect baby clothes, diapers, and formula as well. I saw one where they were singing, like, happy birthday, celebrating Aww. somebody's birthday because they were in a camp yeah. on their birthday. These are kids. So people around the world have also been booking Airbnb lodgings oh, I've heard about in that. Ukraine. i yes. Yeah, that's cool. Obviously, they aren't intending on making a trip, but they see it as a way to get money in the hands of Ukrainians. In one 48-hour period, over 61,000... Nights worth of bookings had been booked. Wow. That's approximately 1.9 million VAR dollars in the hands of Ukrainian citizens. In Berlin, thousands of Ukrainian refugees are being brought in by trains. These refugees, in many cases, have almost nothing. When the train pulls into the station at Berlin, they're greeted by hundreds of German citizens standing outside the train, holding up signs, not only showing their support for Ukraine but also offering direct help. Depending on what they can offer, the sign might be offering a place to stay, food, clothes, and other necessities. I saw a guy in Portland today waving a big Ukrainian flag oh, on another pass. I,
0: I saw some of that when I wasn't in traveling in, um, over
1: in France and Spain. A lot of and people are just trying to find ways that they can show support. Now.
0: Yeah, I heard a story about uh, a man who dresses up in a T-Rex um, costume If the oh. children come off the trains He's handing out candy dressed up like a give little of
1: something, something. Yeah, just, just fun, fun. Well, some people are offering help with transportation, giving out SIM cards to Ukrainian cell phones with little work locally or even offering counseling assistance. Avi Shivmon, a young man from Seattle we touched on briefly in an earlier podcast about COVID, is... Being amazing yet again, when we last talked about him, he was a high school student that had developed a computer program to more accurately track COVID, and he made national headlines for his work. Now, a student at Harvard, Avi, is using his brilliant computer skills, which I cannot relate, to help the world again. He's developed a website that helps pair Ukrainian refugees with host families around the world to make it possible to take in refugees. The website Ukraine Take Shelter was created with his friend Marco Burstein and is available in twelve different languages. Wow. It helps refugees find host families, childcare support, and even legal assistance related to immigration and refugee status. Wow. So despite the horrors of the Ukrainian war, there's some goodness to be found. As Gandhi said, in the midst of darkness, light persists. Like many people, I find myself praying for the people of Ukraine, and in some ways, I think those prayers are being answered in the kindness of people around the world. People who have asked the question of, what can I do? How can I make this better? We all need to be asking ourselves those questions, whether it's donating some money, writing our representatives in Congress to push for more aid to Ukraine, or hosting a refugee. We all can work together to make a difference. We've heard that it takes a village to raise a child, but maybe it takes even a bigger village, a worldwide village, to stop a war. The beauty of a woman is seen in her eyes, because that is the doorway to her heart, the place where love resides. Audrey Hepburn.
0: Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website,
1: tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.